0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn,
2: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Jimmy Carboni. It's July Good Beer Month in New York City, and you're listening to a special episode that we prepared for you on this July 4th holiday weekend. Back in April, our friends from Green Flash Brewing in San Diego were in New York City for a whirlwind tour. We were lucky enough to sit down with the crew for a Saturday morning interview and then took in a guiding-tasted at jimmy's number 43 with dave adams the tasting room manager at green flash and we've got all for you here on beer sessions radio i'd like to thank our sponsors at dot who has always helped to bring this podcast to you and the 40 member bars of new york city's own good brew seal we'll be back with our regular in-studio show next week but hope you'll enjoy a day with green flash Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. And I'm here with the guys from Green Flash in San Diego. I'm so excited. Uh, we got Chuck, the, the brewer, Mike and Lisa, the owners, and, and Dave, who's the tasting room manager from San Diego. They're here at Jimmy's number 43 to do the Green Flash food and beer experiment with four beers and four tastes. So this is kind of an awesome special day. They're here all weekend. So first I want to introduce you to Chuck because he's, he's a, a great brewer and uh, we've had so many good beers from you. It's great, it's great to see you again, good morning, man.
3: morning, Jimmy. Good to see you.
2: So tell us about some of the, the new beers that you've made, because there's quite a few out here uh, in, in New York this week.
3: Yeah, we, um, we did bring a lot of beers out. I don't know, we have 200 lines or something, I think, going on over the, the next uh, you know three, four, five days uh, pub crawl today. But uh, some of the fun stuff that we've got going on, newer stuff, um, is our Hop Odyssey, Black IPA. Is out, and that's our first Hop Odyssey beer. One of six uh, draft-only releases for the year. This is the first year doing Hop Odyssey. I think it's uh, it's a really you know just a fun thing to do. Beers that we brewed before, or a, a fun and unique way to re- release or accentuate maybe a new hop variety too. So the next one is Imperial Red Rye, and it's featuring Mosaic hop. Uh, the Black IPA, I'm sorry, is featuring Citra and Cascade with some Warrior in the bitter but also Citra and, and Cascade in the dry hop. So we, we continue on. We have Citra Session IPA for the summer release. And then uh, the, two months later, we do a, a Symposium beer, which actually Symposium IPA we did for the original 2008 uh, CBC, Craft Brewers Conference in San Diego. And we love the beer so much, we're doing that again. Um, last year, we did a Cedar Plank Pale Ale, and that is aged with Spanish cedar, and we like that beer so much that uh, we're bringing that back as well. That'll be that one game. sounds great. That's phenomenal, and and it essentially accentu- it really changes game changers. So it's still a dry hopped uh, strong pale ale, but it it gives you a little Szechuan peppercorn spiciness, still an instant cedar character, and it's just a it drinks real nice, and and still a firm lingering finish. And then we finish up the year with our last Hop Odyssey beer, which was originally our fifth. Uh, anniversary beer, uh, double Columbus IPA, 100% Columbus hop and dry hop with Columbus.
2: Well, that's great. Let's also talk to Dave Adams. He's the tasting room manager uh, from the brewery in San Diego. Dave, what what beers did you pick today? You're doing like a beer and food pairing here at Jimmy's number 43.
4: Yeah, we're going to do a little fun beer and food pairing. Uh, we have Rayon Bear, which is probably the beer that i drink the most out of the brewery um this awesome Belgian pale ale that we do with britannomyces so wild yeast super funky and earthy and spicy and it's got some cool citrus notes to it Uh, it's really effervescent so it makes it a great food pairing beer um we do it a lot with cured meats cheeses things like that so we're going to do it with uh with some prosciutto today. Uh, should be really nice. Um, we also have Hop Head, a uh, nice hoppy red ale, red IPA, we call it, um, and that one's going to go with a goat cheese um, that I like a lot, Lenore from uh, Spain, from northern Spain. That's really exciting to do. Um, and then after that, we have Pallet Wrecker, which is our big home run, double IPA, super hoppy, big, you know, enamel off your teeth bitterness going on. Um, we're going to do that with a, a Gouda like cheese um, that's uh, really aggressive and bitter and has all those cool calcium crystals in them. Um, and then after that, we're moving over to barley wine, and that's going to go with Shropshire, which is an English cheese um, that has all kinds of fun nutty and fruity characters that go really well with the figs and dates and things like that in the barley wine. Um, and I think we got some, some fig jam to go along with it just to, to round things off.
2: So you think that your West Coast style beers do
4: well with food? Yeah, I think West Coast style beers do really well with food. I mean, I like all of our Belgian beers are fun to pair with food. Uh, All of them are, really. It just depends on what you're kind of going for on the menu. Um, But the West Coast style beers lend itself a lot to the style of food that we kind of have in San Diego. We have a lot of Mexican food, the spicy stuff, things like that work really well with the the hoppy pales and the hoppy IPAs and things like that. Um, But, I mean, we have such a huge lineup of lots of versatile beers, so really i mean we can we have the ability of going in any direction with any menu any style any crowd which makes it really easy for for me to do um so but yeah i love doing the belgian beers but i also love doing the hobby beers it really just depends on you know where we're doing it and what the crowd
3: is all All right well yeah our beers are so flavorful that it just it does work it's easy to find something that has the right match so I, I kind of forget that. I, I'm you know in town trying different beers and, and I and it reminds me of how flavorful and how flavor forward our beers really are. It's real, yeah. Definitely. There's there's
2: it's one kit we in got it. in that we I haven't tried yet and it's gonna be on this weekend. We're gonna do a tasting on Tuesday with Allison your your, your sales rep. Um, it's the Serrano stout. Can you tell me about that? Because that sounds really good. Yeah, so it's our, our double
3: stout. Um, the, the straight up double stout. Uh, 8.8 ABV. It's it's you know kind of an old world style with a, a new world twist. We use some golden naked oats, lots of, of dark malts. It has a, a, a little chocolatey notes, a little bit of cocoa and, and dark chocolate character. Makes it an awesome pairing for serrano chilies. Um, if you can think of like mole combinations of flavors and that's kind of where the inspiration came from, I think, to, to use the serrano chilies. But we seed them and stem them, make sure that they're not too spicy, but we use enough of them that there's a good little bit of heat and just a ton of flavor and aroma. You're going to be, I think, wild by that beer. Well, wow, there's another beer I wanted to ask you about, the East Village Pilsner.
2: Uh, is that named after the East Village in New York? Well, you, <laughs> it you know, is I, this week. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think if you can wrap your arms around it and just say yes, you know, that's it. Uh, but we actually do have an East Village in San Diego as well. So um, I think it's a, maybe it's a dual naming, you know.
4: I get asked that a lot in the tasting room. We we actually... After New York, we did not know there was an
3: East Village there. It's supposed to be uh, originally just a local-only beer. Um, You know, being a a lager, it takes a lot more and takes space to produce lagers and a lot more tank time. And so it's not something that we want to promote in such a huge way, but we certainly wanted to share with East Village New York. And um, like I said, it was originally just a, a local San Diego beer
5: not brought in to encompass both of our favourite east
3: villages on both sides of the country. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got Mike and Lisa Hinkley, the owners of
2: Greenflash here too. So it's like the whole Green Flash team
6: is
5: yes. in town.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, seven or eight of us
6: in town for, for the mm-hmm. week and uh you know just events every day and uh tremendous fun. Especially a uh, great thing for me. I grew up here in New York and so it's kind of a home, homecoming for me and uh you know we do it hopefully at least once a year, it's, I wind up getting here a little bit more but it's it's just great to be in New York. I, you know, it gives me a lot of pride to come back here and and uh, with all the beers we make out there and come come home basically. A lot of fun.
5: So with our personal connection, we wanted to come up with a theme for our events. We're doing like you said, a 200 lines out around the, the area for the next five days, and so we came up with the way to pay tribute to our love for the city and called it the iFlash Flash New York Tour. The you know the State of Mind Green, green Flash State of Mind Tour. And we're, you know, visiting all of our favorite places and sharing our passion for the beer with our customers all around town.
2: Lisa, what are some of your favorite Green Flash beers?
5: Well, I started out as Triple. My tastes have evolved over time. I started very inexperienced in the beginning with my flavor palette and stuff. But I've come to love the Belgian styles. I love Flanders. It's probably my favorite, the favorite one. um, sour that we did for our 10th anniversary but i have a I, i'm acquiring an even greater taste for the hoppier beers now too and
2: i bet you yeah. i bet you are and, yeah, you're pretty lucky I've had a lot of
5: experience you know, i get to experience to experience a lot of really cool beers just being in our place because chuck makes some great beers and all the different styles so
6: and, and david chuck spoke about how uh, because our we make so many uh different styles of beer from the belgians and uh you know all the hoppy beers and then the hybrids and everything how it's, it's real fun and easy to make these beer dinners beer dinners is really what's come to be what lisa and i enjoy most about the mm-hmm. business it's it's a great you know the food beer pairing and beer. and uh getting together and, and just getting educated and and sharing that with people is just yeah just become the funnest part of this for
1: us i think
5: that's really what did it for me those flavors the flavors coming together and under appreciating the combinations and that way they um you know complement each other and that's probably kind of- Found myself trying different styles and enjoying
2: them. Well, that's what's so cool about today. I mean, so you guys basically are bringing your tasting room from San Diego here
5: mm-hmm.
2: to, to New York. And how, how, how do you feel working with Dave? I mean, what is that like, you know, day to day? What what does the tasting room do in San Diego? You know, just tell us a little bit about that role, because that's kind of a neat way for people to interact with your beers. It is and- our
5: big customer connection and you know, direct. Dave, you know, has a lot of knowledge and he helps with it and trains all his people to have the same knowledge too, so they really are able to educate the. Consumers on our, our beers and what you know what they
3: are and how they're how great they are and how to enjoy them and um, yeah. people and, travel from all over the country yeah. to, to visit our brewery and, and hit up the tasting room. Yeah, our tasting room really is it's it's our it's
6: our most direct uh, connection to our customer. When people visit the brewery and they get to see the passion and commitment that we have, um, and you know Dave uh, does a great job training his staff. We overstaff so that there's even on a friday night when there's eight bartenders and 300 people there our bartenders can sit and talk with a customer for 5 minutes before they select the beer um, we you know we want that experience to be great and you know Dave's been a great addition he's you know he leads that effort he runs what we call internally uh, anyway green flash university where we have training programs for our employees training programs for the uh, restaurants that uh, come and visit us uh, and, and the education we try to put out to the public through our customers. Uh, you know, Dave leads that effort, and our tasting room is, uh, like I say, our most important and direct connection with our customers. We love it.
2: So, Dave, tell us about some of the programs that you do regularly at the Tasting Room in San Diego.
4: Yeah, cool. I'd love to. Um, we started uh, one of my favorite things. I, I love food, and I also happen to love beer, which is odd. Um, but we do a thing in the Tasting Room called the Supper Club, uh, which I'm really excited about. We, we spoke about it, I don't know, maybe like a year and a half ago. And I was talking about, what if we did beer dinners in the tasting room? We don't have a restaurant or anything. Uh, and they were like, yeah, let's do it. That sounds fun. So I ended up calling up a couple of my friends from the restaurants around town, and they said, yeah, let's do it. That would be great. So we had them come in, and they cook kind of outside of the tasting room and all rented ovens and burners and things like that. And we close the tasting room, just turn it into this big dining room, sixty people, all white tablecloth. We sprinkle hops all over the table and we do five course pairing and I just stand up in front and walk people through the, the dishes and you know why we do beer and food pairings and stuff like that. So yeah, that's our supper club. That's one of my favorites. Um, and then Mike alluded to the Green Flash University. So we do internal training about certain things, but we also have an external program that's for the public as well that you can sign up for, um, and I think it's called Behind the Craft, that's right, Behind the Craft, and we do different, it's basically different people who are really passionate about what they do, I was trying to wrap my head around how to do a beer class, For the public, but I couldn't really figure out how to do it because we're not allowed to serve other people's beer with our, you know, the way that the breweries are set up license-wise. So I said, what if we brought other people in that do other things that they're really passionate about and we could talk about why they work with beer? So we do cheeses. Um, So I had a guy in from Venissimo, it's a local cheese shop, and then he did a cheese 101, where it's from, how it's made, all those kinds of things. And then I did a little bit of a beer 101 and then we paired them together and talked about that. That was really fun. Uh, We have a cured meat one coming up. There's a local guy that cures his own meats. Um, He's going to run through how you cure meats, where all the cured meats are from, the different cuts that you have, and then we're going to pair them with beer. Um, So we have those things going. And then I do some internal training. They were saying that we train the staff a lot. Um, I like to make our staff very well-rounded in their knowledge and not just have knowledge of our beers only. So that way... Whenever people are coming in from all walks of life, all different places, saying, hey, I really like Reisdorf Kolsch, like, all right, cool, we have a beer for you that I know because we did a tasting of Reisdorf Kolsch you know, last week. So last time I had him over at my house, we had a Doppelbach and a Quad a couple of quads, and that's neither of those that we make, but you know, that makes their knowledge more well rounded and it just makes them overall better beer people. Um, and they're all certified beer servers, the level one of the Cicerone program, which I'm not sure that any of the other tasting rooms can say. I think that we're kind of leading that effort and trying to keep everybody as knowledgeable as possible.
2: Well, that's cool, man. Well, first let's make a toast to each other because <laughs> whether you have a glass or not, we're in the back room of Jimmy's number 40 today. We're not over at Roberta's where we usually are, and, uh, you know, this is just pretty wild. I mean, first of all, sitting with Chuck, too, I mean, we, we've talked on the phone before, and we've met you in New York, but um, what do you think about the, the New York beer scene, and, and, and how, how do you think New York feels about Green
3: Flash? Well, I think we're very well received, and I see a lot of synergy um, for our beers, but also there's uh, still just um, a lot of people going forward and creating new beers and new people on the scene uh, locally. So um, seeing... A little more, I think, West Coast influence and a little break from old-world traditional beers that have been uh, East Coast classics. And uh, so I think uh, more flavor and more flavor-forward beers are available here as well.
2: Do you, do you know Jeff O'Neill at Peekskill?
3: I do. do you absolutely. know Jeff, yeah, right? the back from the, uh, his days over at Ithaca. And uh, so yeah, actually I had one of his uh, beers last night up at Craftsman. That's good. And it was really good. Yeah. Was it the it's IPA? The sour. Actually no, it was the sour. Simple sour. Because yeah. his new his
2: uh, Eastern Standard IPA, it kind of echoes like something that you would make, more West Coast.
3: C- certainly. Um, yeah, we are like minded. I've talked to Jeff a lot, and actually we have a a, a hop supplier in common, which actually I actually met with last night. He actually lives here. Just um, about five minutes from uh, Craftsman up there. Uh, Siegel. John Siegel. John Siegel. Siegel. Yeah. And uh, so I know uh, Jeff gets uh, hops directly from John as well, and he's like the best Cascade hop grower in, in Yakima Valley. Uh, he lives here, but, you know, still has uh, the ranch in, in Yakima and in Grandview. And uh, so I'm really not surprised at all that Jeff would put out an amazing IPA.
2: Well, i tell you, I'm looking forward to our, our tasting today. We've got lined up that, that Dave picked. We've got first, what is it, the Rayon Vert? with the prosciutto. Second course is the hophead red. I call it a red IPA, too. Yeah, and uh, that's with nice. the Spanish goat cheese, and then we have an, an aged Gouda with the palate record. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that combination. And the barley wine, I've never had the barley wine before. That's on draft today. Right. And uh, that's with the Shropshire. It's kind of like a Stilton. Yeah. A a Stilton bit,
3: blue. It is, it is a Stilton of, with a natto seed to color it. Yeah. A little more
4: bitterness, I find, than the Stilton. I think the Stilton has more, like, nutty, kind of... I I guess nutty flavors to it. And I I like that the Shropshire almost reminds me of like a, like there's some cheddar blended in, like it's got some bitterness to it, which I think lends itself to the American style barley wine that's a little more hoppy. That's what I like using Stilton a lot with English style barley wines, like a Thomas Hardy or something like that. But um, but with American style barley wine, that high hop content, I think our barley wines 80 IBUs or something like that is real real bitter and aggressive, and it's got that big citrus note, so I like the the Shropshire plays plays with that a little bit better, I think.
2: I think you guys are going in the right direction with beer dinners and beer tasting. In fact, we do a lot of beer dinners, but we haven't done too many beer and food pairings, so I'm really looking forward to that today. Uh, John, you want to say a few more things? Mike, sorry. Mm -hmm. A few more things about... I was thinking... John Hinckley.
5: <laughs> oh yeah. And
2: this is like twelve thirty in a Saturday afternoon, what? and I haven't even had have my first beer yet, which is kind of bad. There's no relation, <laughs> just so
5: you
2: know. <laughs> so, tell us just wrap up. You know, you're being here in New York, and maybe a couple other events that you're looking forward to this weekend.
6: Yeah. Um, later on today, we're going to start a Park Slope pub pub crawl that we're going to do, um, and that's going to be a lot of fun. And the brunch. That's this afternoon, is uh, Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. tomorrow. Oh, yeah, Ale Wife. Uh, tomorrow afternoon, uh, starting around noon or so, is uh, a brunch that we're going to do there. Um, just a lot of events going on around town. Go on our Facebook. Go on, uh, you know, the website. There's a list of events and uh, lots of cool beers. I was surprised to see some beers at k the other night that uh, uh, a couple I hadn't actually had yet. So, uh, <laughs> you know, they really uh, pulled out all the stops and made sure we had great selections here. So we're, we're all right.
2: excited about it. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we will take in a guided presentation by Dave Adams, the tasting room manager at Green Flash, right here on Beer Sessions Radio.
3: You're listening to "Quit in Time by Pamela Royal on Beer Sessions Radio. Stay tuned for more from Green Flash and Jimmy Carboni.
1: which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit greatbrewers.com today. Hey, welcome back to
2: Beer Sessions Radio. We're about to hear a recording of a guided tasting with Dave Adams of Green Flash, who shared with us some awesome beer and food pairings featuring what else? Green Flash beers from San Diego. So many craft brewers are paying special attention to the relationship between beer and food and pairing, and it's becoming an art in of itself. We hope you'll enjoy this tasting that was recorded live at Jimmy's Number 43 during Green Flash's trip to New York City.
4: Over 21 here. <laughs> so- alcoholic drink uh, made with yeast. uh, and usually uses malt or some sugars to ferment it, something like that. Um, So to go through the ingredients, we have malted barley, uh, water, hops, and yeast. Those are the four ingredients, main ingredients that are used in all craft beers. You can use other things to ferment the beer, like rye and oatmeal. You could also use corn or rice uh, if you wanted to for some reason. Um, But we use malted barley, hops, water, and yeast. So malted barley, to start... Um, it's a grain that grows out of the ground, and we use a two-row pale malt. Uh, two-row means that when you're looking down at the stalk, there's two little sprouts that come out of it. Um, and then pale is in reference to how much they heat it, because the color of it is very pale. So what they do is they'll take it off of that stock. And then they put it in some water and make it germinate. So it starts to think that it's sprouting like it's growing in the ground. And then they stop that by drying it out and heating it. And what that'll do is cause it to have a special enzyme in it that converts starches into fermentable sugars. So if you don't have that, then you don't get beer. So that's the whole Process Like, you have to have malted barley. It's really, really important. And then the different types of malted barley come from the different ways that you would kiln it. So if you heat it up just a little bit, then you end up with a pale malt that you would use in a pale ale, something really light in color, usually lighter in flavor. But it's also a good base malt to use with a bunch of other beers because all beers, for the most part, are a blend of different malts. So even when you have a big imperial stout or something really rich and dark, in color and in flavor, alcohol, things like that, it probably uses some of that two-row pale malt to help balance it out. Because the pale malt has actually a higher sugar content than the roasted malt, which is the far end of the other spectrum. Uh, The more that you heat it up, the less starch content you have, so that's the less potential for alcohol, basically. So you almost always have to balance it out if you want to do something like that. So you end up going a little bit over, and uh, we're going to have a beer today that has some caramelized malts in it. Um, And Are are you guys part of it, too? uh, Okay, do you have a couple more of those cheats for these guys? Go. Sorry, guys. Um, got one more, someone. Anyway, uh, okay. Thank you very much. There you go. Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, okay, where was I? Okay, so we're gonna have a beer today that uses. We have actually a variety of malts that are gonna be used in the beers that we're trying today. Uh, but the Hophead Red is one that comes to mind that uses some caramelized malts. So they'll literally caramelize it like onions and the sugars will come out to the top and it has a caramely flavor to it. So that being said, when you're looking at beer, you can't really judge it by the color because all it means is that you use some of the malt that had that color. So you could have a pitch black beer, but it could be 4% in alcohol and have a really light flavor and be really light in calories. You could also have a pitch black beer that could be 13% in alcohol and, you know, whoop your ass, basically. So it just really depends on what you're going for. Um, Okay, so the next ingredient, uh, I'll talk about hops. Um, Hops are obviously very important to beer. Uh, How many people like hoppy beers, like big hoppy IPAs, things like that? Yeah, you mean. Like two? That's so funny. So in San Diego, that would have been like everybody that raised their hand, by the way. (laughs) It's so funny to see the difference. Um, So hops do several different things to beer. Uh, They found out about them because they acted as a natural preservative, Um, now they're used more for flavoring and bittering and things like that. Um, So there's three things that you get out of hops, flavor, bitter, and aroma. So it depends on when you use them that you get those different things out of them. They have a thing inside of them called the lupulin gland, and the lupulin gland houses resins and essential oils. The resins cause the bitterness, the essential oils cause the flavor and the aroma. So when you use them in the boil kettle, you get the resins out of them and you get all the bitterness out of them. So we're going to have a beer, uh, the third beer is going to be really, really bitter. That's because we use a lot of high-bittering hops in the boil kettle. That's where you get all that from. Then you can use them for some flavoring. We put a lot of our flavoring hops in the whirlpool where it'll spin all the wort around in there, the sugar water, and get some flavors out of those essential oils. And then after you've fermented the beer, you can add a bunch of hops in. That's called dry hopping, and that's where you get all the aroma. So when you put your nose up to a nice hoppy glass and you get all that fun pine and citrus and grapefruit and things like that, that's called dry hopping. That's all the essential oils. They're soluble in the alcohol and the cold water, so we throw them all in there at the end. a, a ton of hops to dry hop with our beers are really really aromatic um, which I love so we're gonna have uh, two beers we're gonna have two beers today that are really aromatic uh, the hop head red. Um, and Well, actually, barley wine, too. Uh, barley wine, Hop Head, and palate Wrecker all have a big hop aroma to them, um, so that should be really cool to see. Uh, so water after that. Um, water is really important to beer. You have to have water, and it's got to be good water. The cool part about America, though, is that we have not a huge, rich beer-brewing culture, uh, especially as far as craft brew is concerned, um, as to where other countries have thousands of years of culture, and they started off using the water straight from wherever water supply. Now we have reverse osmosis, filtering, all those things, so we can kind of make the water however we want to make it. But back then, it really defined what styles they were brewing. Uh, In Pilsen, they had really soft water that was great for brewing light lagers, pilsners. so that's why they started making that. Over in England, they have gypsum in their water, which is great for English pale ale. So it really just lent itself to making those certain styles of beer. But now, in America, we have filtering, and we've only had craft beer for the last... 20-25 years or so so we can make all different styles and we make them all well which is great so uh, it's really really nice and and, uh, lucky that we don't have this super rich brewing culture because we make all kinds of awesome beers so it's fun Uh, after that becomes yeast Uh, Yeast is obviously the most important part uh, Because that's what makes it an alcoholic beverage Uh, Yeast goes in and eats all those sugars that we created And then it'll turn them into three different things If we're using ale yeast specifically And we're having all ales today So there's two different types of beer in the world and those are the two different types of yeast strains. You either have an ale, which is a top-fermenting yeast at warmer temperatures, or a lager, which means the store in German, It's a bottom-fermenting yeast at cooler temperatures. They take a lot longer to ferment as well. Um, so anyway, like I said, all ales today. And the yeast goes in and eats those sugars that we got from the malted barley, and it'll poop out ethanol, CO2, and then the ales will poop out esters as well. And esters are like natural fruity compounds and flavors that come from the fermentation process. So we have some today uh, in Rayon Bear that I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, this has Brettanomyces in it, which is a wild yeast, and it puts out all these funny esters like Band-Aid and Barnyard and Earth and Hay and things like that. Um, Trappist beers. Uh, how many people have had a Trappist beer before, like a roach? Firmer. Okay, cool. So those have banana and bubble gum on the aroma, right? That's natural from the fermentation process from the ale yeast, because ale yeast works really quickly, and it doesn't clean up after itself a lot. So all that residual stuff is what causes those cool aromas and flavors that you can get out of those characteristic beers. Um, okay, so how you make beer... Um, so what we do to make beer is we take that malted barley, we grind it up um, and it's called, we put it in a grist mill and then we put it into a mash mixer or a mash tun, that's where you mix it in with hot water that's mashing that's where you extract all the color and a lot of the sugar out of it, all the sugar out of it mostly, Uh, after that we send it over to a tank called the louder tun uh, which is a screen based tank and we'll sparge it first uh, where we spray water onto the grain bed and that's so you can extract a little more sugar off of that grain and then you're trying to separate it like when you're steeping tea, when you're uh, steeping tea and you throw the grain away or you throw the tea bag away after you're done, you're getting all the flavors and stuff like that out of it. Same kind of idea. So we take that grain, we get rid of it. It's called spent grain. Uh, We actually give it to local farms up and down California. They use it for uh, cattle feed, things like that. We also make dog treats out of it in the tasting room. If you ever stop by the tasting room and your dog's hungry, Um, (laughs) pretty cool. Um, So after you have that, then you have this uh, liquid that's uh, sugar water, basically, and it's called wort, spelled W-O-R-T, it sounds like shirt, Um, and then that's what we're going to be using for the rest of the time. So then we're going to move it over to a tank called the boil kettle, and that's where we do a couple different things. We're going to get a little reduction going, we're going to boil off any off flavors. Um, And then we're going to also add hops into it. Um, And then that's where we're going to get our bitterness out of the hops as I mentioned earlier. After that, we throw it in a whirlpool where we put some more hops in. We get a little bit of flavoring out of that. It all spins around in a circle. We also hang out there in our off time on our breaks, have a couple beers in the whirlpool. Um, And then after that, we do uh, something where we cool it down. So we send it through this heat exchanger where it takes it from about 212 down to 72 in a matter of seconds. And that's for a couple different reasons. If you don't do that really quickly, beer will develop an off flavor called DMS, or dimethyl sulfate, which is like a cream corn kind of thing, and it's really not pleasant in beer. So you cool it down quick, and then you send it over to the cellar where you ferment it. And the yeast can only live at certain temperatures, so if you didn't do that, and you put it right into the tank and introduced the yeast, then all the yeast would die off. It can't work at 200 degrees. So we make it 72 degrees, make it happy, and then it's producing all those byproducts for us, which is really important. Um, After that, we filter it, and then we send it over to a thing called a bright tank to get carbonated. And there's a couple different ways of carbonating beer, and we're going to have two different ways today. Uh, There's forced carbonation, which is where you just saturate the beer with CO2. That's like 90% of the beer, maybe 95% of the beer you've ever had in your life. And then there's bottle conditioning or secondary fermentation. And those are like the Trappist beers that we spoke about. So that'll be where uh, we, we go through the process where we'll actually force carbonate it just to a lower level. And then we add some yeast and sugar mixture into those bottles or kegs. And then it'll sit out at room temperature for about a month and a half, going through a secondary fermentation, and that's where you get a little more effervescence out of it, um, a little longer shelf life, little different characters to the beer, um, so all kinds of cool things. So the first beer that we have is a bottle-conditioned beer, and this one's uh, well above, this is like double the carbonation of our normal beers, which is uncharacteristic, but for Brett beers, uh, for Tantamyces, that wild yeast I was talking about, this is pretty normal. Um, all right, so how do you taste beer? So right before we dig in, I know everybody's ready to, to drink and tired of listening how beer is made, but uh, real quick, how we taste beer? Um, so temperature is super important in how you taste beer. Um, a lot of people think we drink beer out of frozen glasses, you know, they watch too many commercials, and, you know, and it also, you get hot chicks whenever you're drinking beer, <laughs> too, but those things are not true, unfortunately. Um, so, what we do is we always want to drink it out of a room-temperature glass, firstly. Um, usually, uh, nice, good-tasting ales that have a... a uh, higher alcohol content or heavier flavor profile, you want to drink them at warmer temperatures. So most beer comes out of the tap uh, at about 38 degrees. Your fridge is about 38 degrees. You always want to be drinking good beers like this, nice craft beers, at least at the 45 range, somewhere around there. Um, the heavier, more aggressive ones tend to lean towards the 50 to low 50 to mid 50 range. So um, I highly encourage everyone to to warm up their glasses, swirl them around, get them a little bit warmer in your hand, and the reason for that is because you scientifically get more flavor and more aroma out of the beer when you do that. Uh, There's things in beer and food and everything called volatiles, and they release into your nasal cavity as you're drinking the beer. If you have it too cold, those volatiles will stay inside of the liquid and not go into your nasal cavity. So that's why you, when you're drinking you know, a light uh, domestic lager and you like having a frozen glass, that's probably because you don't like the taste of it. So when you have it frozen, it's really cold. Of a frozen glass, you can't taste it. You know, same reason when you're trying to drink some crappy tequila and it's like yeah oh, put it in the freezer we'll, we'll just wash that right down right same kind of idea so if you want to taste it then have it warmer and it, uh, it'll lend itself much better so all the beers that we're going to break today I'd la- I encourage you to warm them up with your hands um, first thing that we'll want to do is check the appearance so we'll hold it up check it out um, it's a little bit hazy in appearance, right? Uh, which is stylistically true. Uh, it's a bottle-conditioned beer, so there's going to be some sediment left in the bottle. It's going to have a hazy appearance. Uh, we're going to have other beers that are filtered <coughs> completely out and art bottle-conditioned. That'll be nice and crisp and clean looking, hopefully, at least. So I don't sound like an idiot. Um, and then uh, the second thing that we'll want to do is get some aroma out of it. So when you're uh, taking, when you're getting some aroma, can I have a beer? So have a. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Okay, cool. We're safe now. Um, So when you're getting the aroma out of the beer, um, a lot of people's first inclination, first instinct to do is to go. And the reason why you don't do that is the same reason that dogs don't do that, because it'll just dry out your nose. So you want to take short, concise breaths. So I like to just take a little breath in, pull it away, breathe out little breath in, pull it away, breathe out. Just keep doing that over and over, and try to get as much as you can out of the aroma. And just think about flavors that you've had in your life. Think about your childhood. Think about foods that you've eaten in your life. Maybe it reminds you of running through an orange field. Who knows? You know, there's all kinds of fun things. Maybe it reminds you of eating ham and cheese sandwiches before school with your mom hanging out. You know, just it totally depends. There's all kinds of fun things that you can get out of it. Um, for me, I get a lot of uh, citrus from the hops that we use, but I also get all that barnyard and hay and, and funk, um, medicinal notes, things like that. That all comes from the Brett strain that we were using, like I was talking about. Um, so, And if you have problems getting a rum out of it, if, you're, if the rum is a little bit lacking for you, just give it a little swirl. It'll swirl, it'll agitate it for you, then you'll get some more of that aroma. It'll kind of release those for you. Um, Okay, after that, let's see, what order did I put it in? Flavor. So then you're going to taste it. So go ahead and take a little bit in your mouth. We're kind of going to be getting two things out of this one. So there's a couple different ways that you can taste. Uh, You probably want to let some sit on your mouth and kind of let it warm up a little bit, and you'll get some of the flavors out of it. Um, And you're also going to be getting mouthfeel at the same time. So the flavors are obviously going to be more descriptors, you know, things that that are kind of similar to the aroma, where it's like, hey, we're getting earth and barnyard and hay and a little bit of hoppiness. Um, And then the mouthfeel is going to be, it's very effervescent, right? There's lots of carbonation going on. Um, It's dry. It finishes dry, things like that. That would be the mouthfeel, uh, which is important to know. Like, you're having a big imperial stout, you're not going to get the same mouthfeel that you're going to get out of a Belgian pale of bread. Uh, this one's going to be very lively and refreshing as to where the imperial South's going to be really heavy and thick and coat your palate. Um, and we're going to have a beer, a couple beers like that a little bit later. So, all right. Um, everybody feel pretty comfortable now? You're all beer experts? Yes. yes okay, cool. Any, any questions before we move on to eating? Dick, who are these guys? Oh, I'm sorry. What What is your <laughs> poor, poor host. Um, this is Chuck Silva. He's our brewmaster. Um, he's the guy who makes all these beers. Um, he came on to our company. We started in 2002. Uh, here's our founders right here. This is Mike Hinckley and Lisa Hinckley. Um, so you guys are up for a treat. you got the whole crew here today. Um, so yeah, they started off in 2002. Chuck came on in 2004. Uh, started brewing our West Coast IPA. Anybody had West Coast IPA before? Yeah. Okay, so um, mm-hmm. and that helped put us on the map. And now we're in a brand new big brewery in San Diego, or much bigger than the little tiny one that we were in before, uh, relatively. And we're making all kinds of really fun beers. So uh, stoked to have these guys. Hanging out with me. Uh, thanks for the plane ticket.
2: Jimmy, <laughs> <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> yeah, I might have introduced some people here. This is yeah, <laughs> my friend Jimmy from Sweden. Hey, Jimmy he from Sweden. 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 <laughs> Hello. Rhea uh, O'Connor, she's a producer of our radio show, Beer Sessions Radio. We've got Chris O'Leary from New uh, York, New York, one of our favorite beer vlogs. Awesome. We've got Claire Goggins, who's at Beer Goggins, great writer and editor. And uh, anyone else want to introduce themselves? Marina, she works in our volunteer tasting steward. we got John Katz over there from Food Republic. Uh, just an article about cider this week so. oh man I got my work cut out for yes. <laughs> <laughs>
4: oh, me. it was just oh, a, bunch of, a bunch of normal town folk All right. but they don't know how to taste beer let me make it, let me make it <laughs> way cooler than beer. it's been so far now. okay uh, like I said one more time any other questions before we move on about anything we talked about so far brewing process nothing okay uh, flip over your sheets for me And we're going to move on to pairings. Um, So as far as a little bit of beer and food pairing theory, um, I like to keep it simple. But I like to really match intensities is really important, I think. Um, So if you're having a big imperial stout, you need to have something that's really, really aggressively flavored. If you're having something light and spritzy, you need to have something light and spritzy that goes along with it. Um, So really trying to match intensities is step one. Um, Then secondly, you want to match the flavors that are going on in the beer. Um, There's a lot of flavors that lend itself beer Beer to food are very, very similar to each other. They have lots of really similar flavors, Um, the bitterness in beer, the earthiness in beer, the nuttiness in beer, Um, so pairing those up is always nice to do. Um, and then, you know, course-specific and crowd-specific. You know, maybe some places you're not going to do pizza and beer. Maybe some places you're not going to do duck-liver pate and beer. So it just really depends on where you're at and what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish. So uh, we have some really fun stuff today. So the first one, I really like salty uh, cured meats with Rayon on Bear. Um, I think the salt works perfectly with the effervescence and the breadth that's in the beer, the earthiness that goes along with it. Uh, so we have a cool... Uh, a slice of prosciutto for you to start off um, it's italian cured ham um, really yummy it's going to go awesome with the beer so i'll kind of let you guys get to it and and see what you think there's a note section on there so for if you guys want to take notes you're welcome to on the beer the food so if anybody needs a pen uh, let me know i'll come drop off a pen for you um, but then after this one we'll talk about some of the flavors that we got out of it see how everybody enjoyed it and then we'll uh, we'll just keep moving through them all right Cheers,
2: guys. We're going to take another quick break, but we'll be back with more on Beer Sessions Radio.
3: This one's called Sweet Talk by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more Beer Sessions.
2: Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio. We'd like to bring you one more moment from our day with Green Flash Brewing Company. It was awesome. It happened during the tasting at Jimmy's Number 43 in the spring of 2013. Green Flash's owner Mike Hinckley shared with us the story of how Green Flash and St. Fulian came to make their first collaboration beer. How uh, did that happen? Through a mutual
6: friend, uh, they were coming over here uh, while well, they were coming to San Diego. Um, Dominique Freire is the uh, the principal, um, you know, kind of the owner, the owner operator. But it's a family business, mm-hmm. owned by the you know all the uncles and aunts and everybody. But she operates it. She was going to be in San Diego, and in San Diego and through a mutual friendship on of the uh, couples at Brewery. And uh, you know, she heard about some of the Belgian beers we were doing, and and uh, you know, we had done Le Freak, which was a, a one of the first hybrid Belgian American beers. And uh, so she wanted to come visit us, and I got excited about it, and collaborations were something we had just started messing around with a little bit. And um, a recent uh, article in the Brewer's News talked about uh, the idea of collaborations, and I was reading through it. And I started researching and I couldn't find any true collaborations uh, between any American and Belgian breweries, so I said, that would be cool to try. So I... Uh, I had a couple of weeks to lead up to it, kind of figured out how I would present it, and uh, I just pitched it to it. And um, while we're a brewery that we might do thirty different beers a year, and we might have award winners that we stop doing just to do a new beer, um, you know we're you know, kind of continuously evolving ourselves. Their, you know, their changes happen very slow. They hadn't done a new beer in more than twenty years. <laughs> Okay, so the idea that they would just collaborate with a, at the time very small American brewery,
1: yeah, that made all
6: these crazy beers. Uh, it, it took her six months to say yes, so it was a, a, a long time coming. Anyway, it's uh, to kind of condense the story down. Uh, they decided to do it, and it was a, a big reach for them. Finally, we went over there, and, and uh, well, Chuck and their brewer Alexi all got together, and. Um, you know, came up with a recipe that was some of us and some of them, and a true collaboration. Uh, then we finally went over there to go brew the beer, uh, and it was real exciting. And, you know, I've been on a few collaborations before, and it's usually me standing around drinking beer and, and laughing, and, and the beer gets brewed. This, day, literally, I was up in the—it's a it's a true brew house where the middle is in the top because gravity needs to— work the brew process, when the brew house was built, it was run by a steam engine because it was pre-electric motor, I mean, its it, it was super cool. So about 7 a.m., it's like 35 degrees, I've already worked for about two hours uh, opening bags of grain and stuff, it was really cool, and then the TV cameras all came, and uh, they were all still on the on the sampling inside, I was still very nervous about how it would be received, um,
5: would we and, ruin their brewery? Yeah,
6: <laughs> you know. And so the the TV cameras are all there, and everyone's speaking French and and running around. It's freezing. And uh, finally, the camera guy comes up to me and goes, "So you're here to steal the Belgian beer?" <laughs> you know? As he shows the mic. <laughs> yeah, right. With TV cameras and everything. Go ahead, and respond to that. <laughs> um, so we realized there's a little bit different, you know, where they were coming from than where we were coming from, no doubt, but. Um, we built a great relationship with them, and, uh, you know. We've done several beers, and we consider ourselves sister breweries in a sense. And uh, you know, we want to have a long-lasting relationship with them. They're now building so they a new the brew house.
5: Too.
6: They caught the of the collaboration, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've uh, they've really now that it was it was very well received, and now they're very excited about it. And uh, you know, we're moving forward forward on some more collaborations. And uh, they've started doing some crazy things, like introducing new beers, and, uh, and they just uh, released their saison in cans in the U.S. You know, so they're really starting to embrace, uh, you know, some of the things that are modern and happening in, in beer. So, uh, and we're able to reach back and, and you know grab some of those traditions that you know we have so much respect for. So, uh, it's a great relationship. We'll be we're. In the process right now, Steve and or Chuck and, and Alexi over there are putting together the next collaboration. They'll brew it in June or July, and it'll be released in November at the christening of their new brew house. So that brew house that we brewed on, you know, back when, is now being replaced by a big modern brewery, and that brew house will become literally a museum. So um, I don't know. It's, it's been really this a long way to just say it. it's been real fun, real exciting. And uh, you know, we really cherish that relationship and we'll continue to build on it. Yeah.
2: Thanks for listening to our day with Green Flash. We'll be back with our live in-studio panels next week. Don't forget, July is Good Beer Month, which means it's a great time to be a beer lover in New York City. July Good Beer Month is an annual celebration supported by 40 great individually owned and operated craft beer bars, celebrating good beer and pouring it well. Check out com for events at your local Good Seal bars and come to WNYC's Green Space on July 10th, 17th, and 24th where Beer Sessions Radio will be hosting Craft Beer Jam, a live webcast featuring the cult beers, home brewing, and New York City beer culture. Tickets are on sale now, and you can find the links at goodbeerseal.com. I'd like to thank all the guys and gals at Green Flash Brewing Company who helped organize tonight's episode, and thanks to greatbrewers.com who make this podcast possible. Thanks to our engineer, Joe Galarraga, our producer, Brie O'Connor, and our coordinators, Justin Kennedy and Maggie Seiden. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio.